All right. This morning we're going to be talking about growing in Christ. And as you know, in our church, we uh, really encourage every believer in our congregation to do three things. To be involved in worship, Sunday morning, putting God first in our life, in our week, and coming together as we do corporately on Sunday, as well as in our personal life. We wanted to see every believer growing in their faith. That's why we encourage you to get involved in a small group or an ABF or other connections. Maybe it's a one-on-one relationship you have with someone helping you to grow or you're helping them to grow. And thirdly, we want you to be serving, using your gifts and abilities to br- build up the body of Christ so that we might become mature in Him. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. I'm going to look at a number of passages. We'll start with a passage from Colossians, but we'll be looking at a number of passages as a work through the text today. So let's pray for the message. Father, as we bow before you, thank you that you use your word in our life so powerfully. It's through your word that we come to know what your will is for our life, what you desire. It's how you instruct us and teach us. It's how you show us how we should live in a way that pleases you. And Father, I pray today that as we talk about growing in our relationship with Christ, that that would be something that all of us are very conscious of, that we would put you first, listen to your word, and to put into practice what you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Growth is a normal part of life. You can think of these three families that recently had a child born into their home. And all of us, when we have a, you know, if you've been a parent and you've had a newborn baby, when they come into your home, you have expectations that they are going to grow. That's just normal. And we celebrate every milestone along the way. You know, we celebrate when they learn to walk or when they learn to ride a bike or first day at school and all the way through school, different milestones as they progress growing toward becoming an adult. And if something isn't right along the way, if a child is not growing, we're concerned about that. We want to do things to help deal with that or correct that if possible because it is expected that a child will grow. You think of that with farmers too. Every farmer that plants a crop has an expectation that that crop is going to yield uh, some kind of return. I mean, they expect when they put that seed in the ground that it's going to grow and it's going to reproduce and it's going to bear a crop. And they don't know exactly how many bushels that might yield at the beginning, but they have expectations. And if something goes wrong along the way because of disease or insects or storms, those are things that need to be addressed as much as we can within our ability so that that crop may produce a harvest. And I think about that spiritually. In the same way, when we became a Christian, it is expected that we will grow in our relationship with Christ. That's the normal Christian life, that we would be growing in our relationship with him. And yet that doesn't just happen automatically. It's not like, okay, I accepted Christ, and then that's kind of it, and I coast. No, we need to work at our faith. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. 
I like that illustration of soil there too because what this passage is saying is that we need to sink our roots deep into the soil of God's word. We need to find our nourishment and strength in him and continue to grow in our relationship with Christ. And that takes being intentional on our part. Spiritual growth doesn't stop when we come to know Christ. That's just the beginning. That's the first step in our relationship with him. And from there on, we need to continue. And if we are not growing in our relationship with Christ, the reason is usually some sin or disobedience. It's something that's blocking that growth where we're resisting the work of the Holy Spirit. It may be a lack of knowledge or training where people just don't know, well, what do I do now? Or how do I grow? Or thirdly, we're not really a Christian. We may just be fooling ourselves. And we, we've heard some things and we've kind of had this mental assent to God or to Jesus, but we've never really surrendered our life to him as Savior and Lord. And so those are issues that need to be dealt with if we're going to grow. So how do we grow in our faith? Well, I'm going to share five things this morning that I think are very important. Because I have five points, I'm going to move through them a little more quickly. But we're going to talk about each one of these. Number one, we need a plan. We need a plan. We need to know what to do. Spiritual growth really isn't too different from any other area that we want to be good at or develop. I mean, if you, uh, for example, want to get in shape or you want to address your diet, maybe you put on a few more pounds than you wanted to, uh, you need a plan of how you're going to deal with that. If you want your car to run well, well, you need to take care of it. If you uh, want it to last for many years, you need to change the oil regularly. You need to take care of repairs, make sure the brakes are working, things like that. And in the same way, you know, if you want to get good at a hobby or at a sport, there are times when you may need to take a class or have a coach or do some extra study on it. And then it comes down to really practice, practice, practice. You learn by doing. And I think about that in our Christian life. God has a desire for all of us. And we can see that in Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. This is an example of what he wants. It says there that it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. Some translations say to equip God's people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So if you look at that passage and you think about God's desire for the church, he wants us to be growing in our faith. He wants us to be working together. My role as a pastor and teacher is really to be like a coach to come alongside, to encourage, to show you how and teach you, to equip you so that you can build up one another in the body of Christ until we all reach unity, we're growing in our knowledge in the Son of God, and we are becoming mature in Christ. We're becoming more and more like Him. So how do we do that? If God's desire is that He wants the church to be united, and growing, and he wants us to become mature in Christ. How do we do that? Well, that's where we need a plan. 
And in our church, we developed a number of years ago a discipleship pathway. And many of you have seen this. It's going to be a little hard to read all of it, maybe from where you're sitting. But really, we talk about four stages in our relationship with Christ to bring us toward maturity. In that first step, it's the person who's really not sure about their relationship with Christ, and we call it exploring Christ. We want to encourage people to ask your questions. We want to help you to come into a solid relationship with Jesus Christ where you know that he is your Savior and Lord and you've given your life to him. But that's the first step. When someone comes to know Christ, then we want to help you grow in Christ and understand God's word. Learn how to read the Bible. Learn how to pray. Learn how to share your faith and tell others about Jesus. Learn the importance of worship and fellowship and to begin those practices in your life. And if that's where you're at, we'd encourage you to join a small group like Discipleship Explored or another small group we have offered in our church or connect with our ABFs. A third stage is growing close to Christ. It's where we continue to practice those spiritual disciplines, but we're also discovering our gifts and our passion, areas of interest for ministry, and we're serving alongside of others using our gifts, and that's how we continue to grow. Until we get to the point, that fourth stage of a Christ-centered life where we would say that my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in my life and it guides everything that I do. When we reach that stage, we are becoming laborers and leaders who serve in the church, in the community, in the world. God calls some individuals out to be missionaries or pastors or leaders in other areas. And he uses others to serve within the body of Christ to make disciples here, right where we live. But that's our pathway. And what we ask people to do is to just consider, you know, where are you at in those four steps? How would you describe your spiritual life today? If you were to look back over the past few years, have you seen change? Have you seen growth in those areas as you become more and more like Christ? Or what's next for you? What's the next step? What is it that God wants you to do as you think about your relationship with him? And we want to help you to continue to grow in Christ. Secondly, we need a good diet. If you think about every fitness plan focuses on two things. It focuses on diet and exercise. And we need that spiritually too. In 1 Peter 2, verses 2 and 3, Peter says that like newborn babies, we should crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up in our salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. There should be that hunger in our life like a newborn baby for the word of God. And Paul will write in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And there he's talking not just about Scripture. I mean, that's the starting point for us as Christians, but really thinking about anything in our world that is good, that's admirable, that's excellent, that we can learn from and profit from. But those are the kinds of things we should be thinking about. You know, it's not saying that as a Christian you need to read your Bible 24 hours a day. I mean, we need to be in the Word of God, but there are other things that we think about. 
as we go to work, as we relate to customers or maybe people that we are working alongside of in our office, that we are practicing those kind of Christian values wherever God places us. We will not become godly if we are filling our mind with junk. It's not going to happen. If the things that we are reading, watching in movies or television is just garbage, that's going to hurt our relationship with Christ. Just this week, I saw an email for a conference that Chuck Swindoll and Josh McDowell are going to be co-leading that's focusing on this issue of pornography in our world and in the church. And just how pervasive it has become because it's so easy, it's so accessible on the internet, and how uh, you heard when Josh was here talking about even at younger ages now, kids being exposed to that when they're 10 or 11. Uh, Even it's not just men anymore that are getting drawn into that, but also about 15% of women are being drawn into that where it can become addictive. It's one of those serious issues that we need to deal with because it affects our heart and our mind. We are to fill our mind with Scripture. To do that, generally there too, we need a plan. I mean, I've used a uh, reading guide to go through the Bible every year for many, many years. In fact, I started that habit when I became a Christian. I used the daily walk from Walk Through the Bible Ministries. It's an excellent way to, uh, it's a subscription you get, and they mail it out to you every month, and you read through it, and it gives you explanations on what you're reading. You're going through the whole Bible in a year. And what that did for me was that just helped me to understand as a young Christian what it was I was reading. If you try to do that on your own, you know, and you get bogged down and you're going, what is Leviticus about? Or what are these genealogies here for? Or how come we're seeing this in terms of the history? And how does that relate to me as a Christian? You know, you need help with that. And a reading guide like that can help. And here I am, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and I still carry in my uh, calendar this reading guide, and I check off the days as I go along to keep me consistent in that, to help me stay on track as I'm reading through the Scripture. We also need to read good Christian books. And I would encourage you, maybe you aren't a reader, but there are some books that are good, that are just worth your time, even if it takes you a long time and you just do, you know, a small chapter at a time. Some of the classics are like J.I. Packer's Knowing God or C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. In fact, I'd recommend a lot of things that Tozer wrote. Loving God by Chuck Colson and some of his other works. Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert Coleman, just an excellent book on how Jesus made disciples and how we can do that too. Power Through Prayer, E.M. Bounds. I mean, I could go on and on on some of those classic works that will deepen your thoughts about God. And you will hear from people who have walked with God and put this to the test. And they have grown and borne fruit for Him. Fill your mind with Scripture and read and learn from other Christians. Thirdly, we need exercise. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8 says, train yourselves to be godly. 
For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Train yourselves to be godly. Now, that may sound funny to some people. You know, you think about training. I think about that physical training. Okay, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to work out. I'm going to lift some weights or I'm going to run or do those kind of things. Paul's saying, think about that in your spiritual life. Train yourself to be godly. The word training could be translated as exercise. Exercise yourself. And what he's saying is that physical exercise is good. We know that. We can't be sitting around all day. We need to get up, move this body that God's given us, and do some exercise because that gets the blood flowing and helps us to think more clearly. But he said, you know, that's only of some value. That's only of value for this life because no matter how well you take care of your body, one day we're all going to die. It's just the way it is. But the training that you do in godliness not only benefits you in this life, but in the life to come. Now, think of how much money we spend or people in our country spend to get fit and stay fit. I was looking at some statistics on this and uh, they estimate that 58 million Americans have a gym membership. The interesting thing about that, they said that two-thirds of the people who have those memberships, though, never use them. Americans spend about $30 billion a year on health clubs and spend about another $30 to $40 billion again on exercise apparel, but in the same way, much of that exercise apparel will never see the inside of a gym. You know, it's just... You know, you you think about that. They were talking about how, you know, like uh, yoga pants have become popular or the fashion kind of thing. And it's expected that there will be about $100 million spent on exercise apparel by 2020. But it's just because people want to wear it or look good or look like they're working out, you might say. In a spiritual sense, that would be like saying, well, I belong to that church, but I never go. Or I have a Bible, but I never read it. It just sits there, but I kind of want to look good. You know, I want to have this there on my shelf or my nightstand that it looks good. No, you got to use it. You got to put your faith into practice. You need to hear what the Word of God says and then listen and obey it. And we see that in the Scripture. For the believer, our exercise comes in the forms of obedience James says we are to be doers of the word, not just hearers. It comes in the form of spiritual disciplines where we set aside time in our day to pray, to read the Bible. We have fellowship with other believers to encourage us. We're going to church. We're practicing good stewardship. We see it in evangelism and discipleship. We're learning how to do those things, how to make disciples. And we are sharing our faith. We're taking risks for the kingdom of God. And we are building into the lives of others. And we are serving. We're using our gifts. We're discovering how God has wired us and what it is that we enjoy in the kingdom of God and in the church. Don't wait to get involved in serving or in growing in your relationship with Christ. I think back on my spiritual journey, and I learned to pray by praying with others. 
I, I just went and I listened a lot at the beginning. I just listened to how other godly believers approach God's throne in prayer. And I learned to pray. I learned to share my faith by watching another believer share his faith and by learning how to do that through his example. And then in time, I began to share my faith and he would coach me and help me to understand the gospel, how to present it clearly, how to share it in a way so that someone else could respond to that message and come to know Christ. I learned to teach by teaching, and boy, did that help me to grow because of the questions I was being asked. I learned to give by giving, and I learned from the example of my father who taught me how to give. I learned to disciple others by being discipled and then working with other young men to disciple them. That first year that I was involved with Campus Crusade for Christ at Moorhead, I got into a small group in the fall. They challenged me to find three or four guys to lead another group. I went out and did that, and by winter I was leading a study with three guys that I was discipling, challenged them to do the same, and by spring one of those guys was leading another group. Four generations in one year of one person leading another person, discipling another person who was then discipling somebody else. It was 2 Timothy 2.2 where Paul says to Timothy that the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And you and I can do that we can build into the life of someone else and teach them things that we have learned, and that's what discipleship is. It's really getting together to have conversations over the Scripture where you are sharing what you are learning and where you are helping somebody else who is younger in Christ to become a mature believer. That leads to the fourth point, that we need a buddy. We need somebody who can help us. When you are on an exercise regimen physically, it makes a huge difference having somebody who's holding you accountable. Somebody you're meeting at the fitness center or at the gym or somebody who's doing this with you or if you're a runner, somebody that you're running with when you do a 5K or a 10K or, you know, those things make a difference to keep you consistent. Because for all of us, there are going to be days when you just don't want to get out there and do it. You don't feel like it. Okay, I'm doing it because, you know, Joe's going to be meeting me, or Tom's going to be meeting me, and i got to get out there, and i got to do it. Spiritually, we need someone who can help us grow and hold us accountable. And in the same way, we need to be building into the life of others. When Jesus sent out the disciples, how did he send them? He sent them out two by two. He knew it's going to be tough out there. He knew that it would be easy for one to get discouraged on their own, but two to gather and with the Lord present with them because he is there wherever we go to the ends of the age. He gives us the strength that we need. Paul will say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Come on. And when Paul was going on his missionary journeys, he didn't go alone. He always was taking somebody with him. You know, he grabbed Timothy and said, Timothy, come with me, or it was Barnabas, or it was, you know, someone else. Luke would later travel with him. They were learning. Timothy, Titus, Epaphras, 
Others were those who were mentored by Paul and then went out and did the same thing wherever they settled. Last weekend, Gail and I went to see the movie The War Room. And I don't know how many of you have seen it yet, a few of you, you know. It's been just, uh, it's been well received, and it's a great movie. I mean, it's just a powerful encouragement to pray. Now, if I shared with you the premise of the movie, I know there's some people that would go, man, that doesn't, you know, sound like so exciting. I mean, here, it's basically about an older woman who's teaching a younger woman who's a wife and a mom how to pray. You know, and you go, well, that's, that's pretty straightforward, it seems. But it is a very engaging, gripping movie as you hear the prayers of this older woman. Her war room is her prayer closet. And she teaches this wife how to fight for her marriage and her family in prayer. And not try to nag or change or do things on her own in her own strength or power or get discouraged and get bitter and get angry, but instead take those burdens to the Lord in prayer and watch what he will do. And it's powerful. It's just, it's a great encouragement to pray. And then at the end of that movie, the older woman challenges the younger woman and says, now you teach someone else how to pray. That's discipleship. It's passing it on. And you see how important it was for these two people to meet together, to have conversations over the Scripture, to learn from one another, and then to put that into practice, and then at the end of the movie to take that and now share that with someone else. Now, you could do that, couldn't you? And there's someone that you know that you could encourage in their relationship where you can have those kind of conversations over a cup of coffee or sit down and, and meet together to study, to pray, to build into their life, and then challenge them to do that with someone else. Pastor Robbie Gallaty defined discipleship this way. He said, we could say that discipleship is intentionally equipping believers with the Word of God through accountable relationships empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to replicate faithful followers of Christ. When people become disciples, they learn what Jesus said, and they live out what Jesus did. And he emphasized five things in that relationship, that it's intentional. you gotta, you got to set a time to do this, to equip and meet with someone. It's over the Word of God. It is studying, talking about that. It is being accountable to other believers. It is empowered by the Holy Spirit who gives us strength, and it is reproducing what we have been taught with others. And then fifth, we need rest. We need rest. Now that may sound kind of different to hear in this context too, but if you've ever been involved in physical exercise, you know that there are hard workout days and there are lighter workouts. There are days of strenuous activity and there are days of rest because you need to let your muscles rest and recover. And the same thing is true spiritually. We can't keep the bow taut all the time or it will break. You can't run and live on the mountaintop all the time. You need the valleys, you need those times of retreat and rest and recreation. 
You need times to be quiet in God's presence. And we see that in the life of Jesus. In Luke 5.16, Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And think of him. Here he was in his ministry. He's giving out all the time. He's teaching. He's healing. He's meeting with the disciples. He is having these confrontations with the religious leaders. You know, he's being challenged and questioned. And he's with people a lot. Where does he find his strength? He models what we need. He gets alone to a quiet place to pray and be with his heavenly Father. He will tell the disciples how important this is. In fact, there's a saying that I picked up many years ago that no one can help people who is always with people. You can't. You'll burn out. You'll burn out in ministry if you think that, you know, you have to always be with people, always giving out, always giving out. You can't. You need to be taking in too. In Mark 2.27, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given by God for a reason. God gave us the Sabbath as a day for spiritual, mental, and physical refreshment. That's important. That we have that time when we are just a day like today, when we cease from our work, we come together in worship, we are hearing from God's word, there's spiritual refreshment, there is physical refreshment, and we need mental refreshment too. You know, in the Jewish background, they really understood this and practiced it. It's interesting I'll give you an example of how that even affects business today. Uh, in New York City, B&H Photo is the largest non-chain photo and video store in the country. In fact, it's the second largest in the world. There's only one store in Tokyo that is bigger. But the owners, along with many of the employees, are Hasidic Jews. So in their practice, Friday afternoon comes, they close the store. Now, this is a business that's a major company. 70% of their business is online. But if you go online, and I did this yesterday just to see, if you go online during the Sabbath, they'll say, you know, you can peruse our inventory, but we won't take any orders until evening. Uh, yesterday, it happened to be at 7 p.m. Their time, New York time, was when they'd be open again for business. And people have asked them, how can you do that? I mean, how can you be closed on Black Friday, for example? Or how can you be closed all day Saturday until the evening? Those are busy shopping days. And their answer, we respond to a higher authority. They have a higher authority. And I think about that for us as Christians. How much we need to put into practice what God has said and how important is it for us to have a day of rest to come before the Lord. Do you want to have a closer relationship with God? This is how you do it. Do you want to know Jesus more personally? Do you want to experience more of his love and peace and joy in your life? Do you want to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Do you want to know greater contentment in your life? Do you want your life to count for eternity and make those ripples that are going to resound into eternity? then keep growing in your faith and follow these steps and put it into practice because 
This is the normal Christian life. The normal Christian life is a life of growth. The reward for growth is a well-ordered life of peace and joy and contentment and fruitfulness. It is the life you've always wanted. Let's pray. Father, as we think about these things, would you show us what it is that we should be doing? Where is it that you want us to grow? Or what are those steps of obedience and service that you want us to do? When we look back on our life, do we see things that have hindered our relationship with you? Is there some sin to confess and just be honest about them, bring before you? Lord, is there something that's a stronghold in our life that's keeping us from growing? Father, help us to put you first, to be people who love your word, who are hearing it and putting it into practice in our life. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen.